is risen. All right, you're still with me. It is still Easter, by the way, as we celebrate in the United Methodist Church the traditions of the church, and, and it will continue to be Easter for uh, 50 days until we celebrate the birth of the church at Pentecost. So it is perfectly appropriate to continue to proclaim uh, Jesus' resurrection. I am Pastor Kyle. I'm glad that you are here today on, uh, on this, the Sunday after Easter, which is typically what we call a low Sunday, or otherwise known as Associate Pastor Sunday. <laughs> because all of the senior pastors all over the country have had enough and have taken the week off, and so, ta-da, uh, I am what you get today. So, uh, I, I do want to take a moment and thank the ladies from the worship committee. Is this not just beautiful? And, and I asked them to do something special today because it, it is uh, in our text, as you'll see in a moment, we're sort of going back to the upper room. And if you weren't here on uh, Maundy Thursday, you didn't have an opportunity to see how this space was transformed into that likeness on that Thursday. And so I just wanted you to have a a little bit of a taste of it, and uh, I pray it will uh, set the mood for us today as we revisit uh, that space. So I'm going to invite you, if you will, to stand as you are able for the reading of our lesson. Um, I'll be reading from John's Gospel. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week uh, in chapter 20. I'll begin reading with verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. 
This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you if you would also pray with me. Lord, as I humbly enter this space in response to your call, I pray once again that you will set me aside and that by your Spirit I can become the vessel to carry your word to your people this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In last week's lesson, the passage that just preceded this one, which was the text for Pastor Shane's sermon last Sunday, John tells us that Peter and John left the tomb and went back to the place where they were staying. It is safe to assume that it is the upper room in Jerusalem. But Mary stayed, and it was the main point of Pastor Shane's message that it was then, in that moment, that Mary had her encounter with Jesus, that Jesus appeared even as she confused him for the gardener. She saw him. He revealed himself to her in a way that she knew it was him. And then she left and she went to see the other disciples and told them what she had seen and, and what Jesus had told her. And As I studied this passage in preparation for the sermon today, I thought about you. I thought about you all week this week, and I wondered what this week was like for you after such a great day of celebration last week where the crowds came and and the message was uplifting and we proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. And then we tried to live into that message in what we call the real world. And, and I wonder if you were like Mary, if you were able to go and, and tell someone that you had seen Jesus. If you were able to, to be Jesus' witness in the world, or if it even made any difference how you lived this past week. Was Easter for you a, a one-day event? Was it a one-hour of one-day event, or has it truly made a difference in how you're living? All three of the other gospel writers agree that the disciples did not believe Mary when she came and reported the news. Luke wrote it this way. He says, but they did not believe the women, because in his version there was more than just Mary, Because their words seemed like nonsense. And Mark simply says, She went and told those who had been with Jesus, and they did not believe it. And Matthew simply writes that some doubted. Mary's report of her own personal encounter with Jesus was met with skepticism. We can see from the description that that John has has given us that the disciples are not living in a way that it has made any difference. They're behind a locked door for fear of the Jews. Sounds more like a group of people who don't believe rather than believe. Even if they sort of believed or or wanted to believe, 
they still weren't living any differently. They were living in the fear of Friday. Fear that the Jews may find them and what might happen. Or perhaps fear that Jesus might actually show up and hold them accountable for how they deserted him. Or or maybe even fear of what might be next if Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. What might he ask them to do if they truly believed? Suddenly Jesus appears again, or appears for the first time, behind the locked doors. It's important to John's story, apparently out of thin air. And he revealed himself to them just as he had done with Mary. And he said to them, See my hands, touch my side. It is, it is me, it is really me. Over in Mark, he, he cooks them breakfast or he says, Have you got any fish? I'll eat. He wants to prove to them that he is not a ghost. He's not, he had not riven, risen in a spiritual sense. He was, he was there in, 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 in the flesh. And they came to believe. They, like Mary, had their own encounter. They were all able to see him again, to touch him, to hear his voice, to feel his presence. And they were convinced. Fear had given way to joy and excitement and exuberance. All except for Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. It was at the tail end of my uh, elementary school experience, the sixth grade, just before you moved to what we, back then it was junior high, but uh, there was a word among the class that um, one of the prettiest girls in the class was going to have a year-end celebration, a party. And as the week went along, you began to hear who was getting invited and who wasn't. Because I, I know it's different, a little different nowadays, but back then, you know, a person could invite whoever they wanted to for a party. Unlike today, where you have to include everybody or nobody, but back then, we weren't so sensitive about everybody else's feelings. And at the end of the week, some didn't get invited, and it was heartbreaking. They were left out. And then again on Monday after the party had happened and everyone was so excited about what had happened and what they'd heard and what they'd seen and the stories they were telling, it was even more painful for those who had been left out and uninvited to the party. And I suspect that Thomas felt like that also. He was not with the others when Jesus appeared the first time. He missed it and he must have felt like the odd man out the one not invited. Everyone knew Jesus had risen from the tomb. Everyone had seen Jesus except him. I thought about Thomas and his story often over the last few years. I think it holds a valuable lesson for us about Jesus. And since I've learned to interrogate the scriptures, as Pastor Shane likes to say and has taught me, 
I have some questions for John. Why on earth would Thomas not be with the rest of them on that resurrection Sunday, on that day when the tomb was, the empty tomb was discovered? Where could he have possibly been that was more important than hanging out with the rest of the group? Or better yet, why did John include this when no other gospel writer does? And see, I've come to understand when John includes a story that nobody else does, if you understand John's writing, it's important. And most of the time, he wants us to see something there about Jesus, some sort of revelation of Jesus, some sort of new insight about Jesus. And so I asked the question this week, what does, Jesus, what does John want us to see in those five verses about Thomas? If you know the story of Thomas, and, and perhaps if, if you, even if you don't know the story of Thomas, you at least know Thomas by his name, right? Or at least his nickname, Doubting Thomas. Everybody knows Doubting Thomas, even if you're not a churchgoer. But I think Thomas got a bad rap here. And in my studies this week, I found that other people who are way smarter than me have come to the same conclusion. It's actually a, a poor interpretation of the Greek word there that was translated doubt and then forever labeled Thomas. But it's more accurately translated as unbelief or disbelief. Now hold on, you might say, those are both and all the same thing. Well, well, not really. Have you ever heard some amazing news that was so great you just couldn't believe it? And your response was, for a while, I just can't believe it. Or I don't believe it. Or I won't believe it until I see it. And, and likewise, if you have experienced a sudden and tragic loss it can leave you in the same place, in shock, in disbelief. I remember when my uh, aunt and uncle found out that they were pregnant with their first child after 10 long years of trying and waiting and praying and hoping. And their response was, we just can't believe it. We can't believe it. It doesn't seem real. After suffering a long or prolonged disappointment, even a good turn of, event, of events sometimes is hard to, to grasp or to comprehend. Somehow it is just unbelievable. As the months went along, and she obviously was pregnant, as her growing belly showed, they still kept saying, we just can't believe it. We just can't believe it. Talk to someone who has suffered a loss instantly as they wander around in a funk for days, if not weeks, or even years. We just, we can't believe it. And so Thomas was suffering what I think a more, more accurately is, is disbelief. The news was too great to comprehend. It was unbelievable. He had no reason to doubt that Jesus could be raised from the dead. He'd been there since the very beginning. He was one of the first 
disciples that Jesus called. And he traveled with him, and, and he watched the miracles, and he heard Jesus' teaching, and he saw Jesus in action and the power that was within Jesus. He was there from the beginning, and he was there on the night that Jesus was arrested. Thomas just needed to see it for himself. No story by another person was going to convince him. And so in his demand to touch and see Jesus' wounds, Thomas simply wanted what Mary and the rest had already gotten. He wasn't asking for anything unreasonable. He wanted to have his own encounter with the risen Lord. He wanted to believe, but he needed it to be more than words. John tells us that it was one week later before Jesus reappeared. And this is, this is kind of where I want to hang out today. It's where I want to set up camp for just a little bit. Because I want you to imagine what that week was like between Jesus' resurrection and the news from Mary and then that second time when he appeared to Thomas and the rest of them again for the second time. Overwhelming joy for some, the ones who had seen Jesus, what we would call the believers, confusing and disappointing and frustrating for Thomas. And in church vernacular, we would call Thomas an unbeliever. So there they were, living in this space, the unbeliever and the believers. You would think that the believers would want Thomas to to be a believer too. They've been together for a really long time. They're like family. He loves them. They love him. They've experienced so much great stuff together. The believers probably described what they saw and heard a hundred different ways. Each of them. Nine or ten times over, Thomas kept hearing this account, but it just wasn't resonating with him. And Thomas was ready and willing to believe. He had stated so. He'd even stated his demands, if you will or what it would take to convince him. He could have been wondering why the Lord had not returned. Surely Jesus realized I wasn't in the room, he might have said. Or I wonder why Jesus wouldn't want me to see him too, he might ask. I suspect there might have been more pouting, really, than doubting which started out to be the title of my sermon. (laughs) But I didn't want to pick on Thomas any more than he's already been picked on for a couple of thousand years, so we'll we'll leave it at that. But by midweek, you might can imagine that there was some tension in this place where they were trying to live with each other, the, the unbeliever and the believers. They've probably said it as many times as they can say it, And probably have just gotten frustrated. I don't know what's wrong with Thomas, they might have said. He just doesn't get it. He refuses 
to believe. Thomas might have responded, Stop ganging up on me. I hear what you're saying, but I don't understand. I can't grasp it. It makes no sense to me that someone would get up and walk out of a tomb. Do you see where I'm going? We sort of live in that space, don't you think? That space between where Jesus has been revealed to some, but not fully to others. We live in that midweek. Other than this story, we don't really know a lot about Thomas. But there is one exchange between he and Jesus... Um, over in chapter 14, that gives us a little bit of an insight and sort of lines up with what we would expect um, knowing what we know about Thomas. In this moment, Jesus said to the disciples, You know the way to the place where I am going. To which Thomas replies, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? That's a good question, don't you think? Unbelievers are like that. They ask really good questions. And they, a lot of times, ask them of, of believers, thinking they might know the answer. And so Jesus didn't, didn't put him down or, or ridicule him or, or make fun of him. He just answered him. I am the way, Thomas. The truth and the life. You see, the real challenge for unbelievers is to find a believer who is willing to entertain their questions, to sit with them while they wrestle with what they know and what they don't know and what they don't understand, to be patient with them and to hear them out and to let them get there in their own way and, and in their own time. Because the truth is, no one, no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom He chooses to reveal Him. Does that sound familiar? That verse has become a cornerstone for me in recent years. Especially since becoming a pastor. It relieves the pressure of having to win souls for Christ. It's not my job. Jesus said so. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom He chooses to reveal Him. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because it has been revealed to you by His choice. Amen? All right. It's nothing you did or didn't do if you're on the other side of that. One writer puts it this way. As Christians, we can become so determined to help others enter into a relationship with Jesus that we forget the person is not responding to us, but to God. It is God who converts people. And God does not force or manipulate anyone into entering a relationship with Him. 
I find great comfort in that. And I hope that you do too. I told you at the beginning of the message that um, I have considered Thomas's story for quite some time. And I do so because there are some Thomases in my life. As I'm sure there are some Thomases in your life too. And it is my greatest desire to see them, to see God reveal Jesus to them in a way that they can see Him for themselves. Because the truth is, there's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. And we're, and we're never fully aware of all of who God is, no matter where we are on our path. It's part of the reason why I choose to be a Methodist. It speaks to John Wesley's theology of grace where God is at work long before we even realizing it, bringing us to himself. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the unbelievers. It is about God revealing himself in amazing ways to each of us individually and personally. And the truth is, some of those Thomases are the ones I've raised since birth. And there is nothing, nothing that I desire more than to see them come to that place where they see it for themselves. And we can share it because as a parent, you want your children to love what you love, right? Whether it's, whether it's sports or golf or cars or whatever, in this case, Jesus, you just want your children to love what you love. And so I'm living sort of midweek with some of my Thomases and my inner Thomas and some of you. I've had some amazing conversations this week where people have questions And so I would say to you, if you have questions, find someone who wants to sit with you and listen to your questions, and they may or may not have the answer, because that's not their place. But ask your questions, and God will meet you there. The truth is that we all are Thomases until Jesus reveals himself to us at the right time and at the right moment, so that we can see him for ourselves. As the story goes, Jesus appeared one week later, same place, in the same way. And incidentally, the door is not locked this time, and Thomas is there. And Jesus met Thomas's needs by offering himself to Thomas. See, Thomas, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. It is me. I am alive. Believe. To which Thomas responded, My Lord and my God. The one who was left out, the one who had the 
unbelief or the disbelief, the one that wrestled the most with whether or not it was real, became the one who spoke the greatest proclamation in all of John's gospel of who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. You may recall that John started his gospel by saying, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. No one else in all of John's gospel made that profession except Thomas. And I think that's what John wants us to see. I think the reason that he included this story in his writing when the others did not He wants us to know that the one who created us and knows us best, the one who knows how we're wired and how we think, is willing and able to reveal himself in a way that we can get it. At the right time, in the right way, so that we can proclaim for ourselves, my Lord and my God. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the millionth time. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that you do not give up on us. You do not leave us out of the party, but that you come to us in the way that we need you to to reveal yourself so that we might move from this confusion and doubt and disbelief into this place where we truly believe and can proclaim who you are to others. God, I pray that as we continue to celebrate Easter this week and in the days ahead, that you will continue to reveal yourself to us in new and fresh and exciting ways to remind us of that day, that first day when you came to us and we believed. It is in your name, the name of our risen Savior that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, Please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.